okay. It's, it's working. Am I okay? Sweet. Don't answer that. Is the mic okay? Well, good morning, everybody. Um, my name is uh, Dan Hardy. I'm one of the pastors here. I see uh, quite, a new, quite a few new faces, people that I haven't met before. And uh, we're glad you're here. As, as Jason Shelton uh, introduced the service, is we are uh, teaching through a sermon series called Belong Together. It's about the purpose, the priority, and the power of the local church. And um, I, was, I received a, a text from one of our pastors, one of your other pastors, um, yesterday um, asking me if, um, if I wanted to be relieved of my responsibilities this morning. And what he meant by that is, is that as most, a lot of you know that are part of this church family, my, uh, my sister, my wife's sister, Lori, uh, passed yesterday morning at 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, she's been sick, but it was very much um, unexpected. And um, with that, uh, there's been two um, ladies in our body where their moms have passed in the last week and a half. So this body has experienced um, some grief. And, um, and my response was is that I really feel like God wants me to, um, to continue forth this morning. Um, this sermon this morning um, is, is on belonging in community together. It's really all about um, how, as uh, members of the body of Christ, we rejoice when one another rejoice, and we grieve when others grieve. And um, so just um, uh, bear with me this morning. Um, my prayer is, in my complete inadequacy, um, as, as it is complete every Sunday, that God's Spirit would do His work through His Word, uh, like only He can. So my prayer is that, that you'd be um, encouraged and spurred on this morning. Um, if you, um, yeah, I guess I can, I, I guess I want to say this because I would be a hypocrite if I didn't, but um, with my wife's sister dying yesterday, um, Nancy was thinking about coming to one of the services, but I just got a text from her 10 minutes ago that her dad is on the way to the hospital. Um, so if you would pray for him, and if I can just uh, pray now for my father-in-law, if you'd pray with me. Father, I uh, pray for Norm. Lord, I trust you. Trust in your sovereignty. Trust in your goodness. Trust in your loving kindness and in your character. And I pray, God, that um, as this um, old, dear saint, Norm, God is um, closer to the end of his life than he is to the beginning. As he grieves the loss of his daughter, God, I pray that, that you would uniquely minister to him. And I pray that you'd minister to my wife as well. As she is, uh, she's got this double dose of, of uh, worry. And I pray, God, that she would just um, cast her anxieties upon you. Pray that your nearness would be her good. I pray, God, that you would be her shield and her refuge. And I pray for others in this body that have um, lost loved ones in the um, uh, near past, and maybe for those that are grieving in other ways, God, that you would uh, uniquely uh, wrap your loving arms around them, and they would just know your nearness. We thank you that we can confidently come before the uh, throne of grace, where there's mercy in time of need. We praise you, and we thank you. And God's people said, amen. 
So, um, yeah, so we are today, last week we talked about the purpose and the priority of the church, and today we're going to talk about some of the rhythms and disciplines um, in the church. And um, my prayer is that you would be um, encouraged, um, convicted by the Spirit, not by me, to want to, wherever you're at, to want to actually be involved in the local church in ways that people know you. Not just know about you, but they know your deepest, darkest secrets. Um, they know your sin. They know your dreams and your hopes, and that you would know that about them so that we could um, engage in Christian community for the glory of God and for the sake of his people. In northern Colorado, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of clubs and organizations that we can belong to. Um, good ones, good clubs, good organizations, whether it be um, knitting clubs or gun clubs or gyms or rotary or kiwanis, cycling, reading clubs, you name it. There are, there are lots of clubs to belong to, places where you and I might fit in based on our interests, our common interests. <clears throat> places where we will identify with others, we will affiliate with these groups, we'll consume defining products, and we'll adopt specific styles in ways that signal our own identities to those around us, the way we eat, the way we exercise, the service clubs that we belong to. But a lot of these organizations really is that we are, they're, they're lonely crowds, there are places where we're in the midst of other people, but we're all alone. You think about a, 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 a common interest like a, a protest. People protesting something, um, they're, they're standing against something. They're together with people that have a, a common um, conviction and belief, but they're really alone in this crowd. Think about a rock concert or, or any other music venue where, where you might be alone in that environment, even though you're with people. So being with people doesn't necessarily mean that you are experiencing community in that particular organization. Every human being, I believe, wants to belong to some type of community. We were actually designed for it. Um, how many of you remember... The TV series, Cheers. Yeah. How about anybody that's under 30 remember it or have seen it? Look at you guys. Wow. Have you watched it recently? No. Well, you know, you know the jingle. The jingle is as applicable 30 years ago as it is today. And it goes like this. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name, and there's something about being in a community where you know that whatever you're experiencing, that other people have experienced it as well. There's something really um, healing about other Christians that have walked ahead of you through certain trials or joys, that they can minister to you in unique ways. You see, we were created for relationship, but not a transactional relationship, not a relationship where we give and we share and we invest based on what we're expecting to receive back. That's a transactional relationship. That's called consumer or a consumerism or being a customer. We're created for a relationship where we receive 
everything when we had nothing to give. A relationship where we, we are accepted and loved for who we are, not for what we have to offer. And it's only in the church that we can experience this type of relationship. It's only in the church. It starts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when we were dead, when we were enemies, when we were running in the other direction, that God brought us into his family. We did nothing to deserve it. Last week, we talked about the Big C Church. All Christians belong to the Big C Church, the Universal Church. We saw in, in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, where after Jesus ascended, he told the disciples to go wait in the upper room until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They started speaking in foreign tongues, and Peter preached a message where 3,000 people believed or received the word. And it says this in chapter 2, verse 41. It says, so those who received or believed the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And we talked about what were they added to? They were added to the church. I know it's basic, but it's important that they were, they were added to the big C church, Christ church. And every person from the beginning of time until Jesus comes back that have put their faith and trust in Jesus... For the forgiveness of their sins is part of the big C church. And all those people have, that have been saved by faith are now united with Christ with a new nature or a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, If anyone is in Christ and put their faith in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What great news that is if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 2.5, God being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. The local church is the, it's the, it's a social expression, if you will, of the universal church. It's the context in which the big C church lives and breathes. And every one of us as Christians are made to belong to the local church. There's, there's actually no such thing as a Christian or there, that is uh, disconnected to a local church. It happens, but it is not God's design. It is not his best. All Christians were made to belong to the local church. Paul wrote his letters not to the universal church. He wrote it to a church in Colossae, a church in Philippi, a church in Rome, a church in Corinth. He wrote to pastors of the local church, Timothy and Titus. Then there's metaphors that are given to the local church. We talked about these last week that are help, helpful to us in understanding how the church should function. Some of the metaphors are the household of God, the family of God, the building of God, not, not bricks and mortars, but people that we're, we're built together, we're put together with Christ at the, at the cornerstone, and we're built together as his church, the people. The church is also pictured as a flock of sheep. And the metaphor most often used to describe the church is what? The body of Christ. The human body. And all of these metaphors contribute to the understanding of how we are to live the Christian life as part of the local church. These metaphors all involve people, intimately involved people, one another involved in one another's lives. All these metaphors are congregational in nature. You see, you can't talk about the local church without talking about its members. 
It's like trying to talk about a team or a family or a nation or even a club without talking about its members. So 3,000 people 2,000 years ago were added that day to a new collective identity, the church, a bunch of people in Christ together. So what binds us together and binds other Christians around the world together is not, is not common education. It's not common race. It's not common income. It's not um, common politics. It's not common nationality or common uh, accents or common jobs or anything like that. What binds us together is the shed blood of Jesus. And because of this, we're family. It's blood. We have his DNA in us. And that's why we can call any Christian on any corner of the earth a brother or sister. It's probably a good thing that, yeah, I could have easily brought some politics into this message, but I won't do that. Even though our standing as members of Christ's family in the body are all of grace, nothing we did, there are disciplines and there's rhythms that we are to engage in in the local church. So that we can um, not just be the body, but we can actually act as the body and act as the family. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to deep dive into these rhythms and disciplines. We're going to explain what living in community looks like seven days a week. It's scary. It's, it, it can be sanctifying. It's hard. On the other hand, like, like any relationship we persevere in or we serve in, it's beautiful. The life of the early church actually could be summarized by John chapter 13, verses 33 and 35. Kind of a random place to go. But this, is, this, is, this describes, this is the, the heart um, be, behind or underneath the community of the local church. Jesus said this. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Not just in word, but in deed. And then he goes on to say, by this, by what? By our love for one another, by this, all people will know that what? That you're my disciples. If you have loved one another. That's our, our greatest witness is the way that we um, do church together. The way that we live out our familiness, our bodiness, our brightness. Here's some highlights from chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. We're not going to deep dive into this. I would encourage your community groups to go deeper into this. We're not going to have time. We actually have five testimonies at the end of this sermon. And um, now I get confused every service. I asked them last service as well, but I've got till second service, I've got till 2, right? Is it 2 o'clock today? Yeah, right. So verses 44 and 45, I'm going to start in verses 44 and 45 with the, the reality, the stark reality that these are people that are living in proximity together, physically living life with each other. Not in a commune, but they are doing life, they're prioritizing each other. And all who believe, verse 44, were together in proximity, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. Don't get caught up in selling um, the stuff and, me, and, and all that. That's, and he's not talking about communism here either. 
okay? But what, what I want you to get caught up in is that they were together, and that togetherness helped them understand one another's needs. See, how do we know one another's needs unless we're together at some level? There's a proverb, Proverb 18, verses 1 through 2, that says this. Whoever isolates himself, what's isolate mean? Set ourselves apart from other people. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expression his opinion. So to, to isolate yourself in such a way to reject um, um, the, the counsel of other people, the input of other people, the admonishment of other people, it's, it's foolish is what the, the, uh, uh, the proverb guy said. Solomon. It's foolishness. The Word of God calls, calls isolation foolishness. So, so do yourselves a favor and your families a favor and, and, and the groups that you're involved in a favor. Press into community and relationship with people. And I want to give an example here. Is, um, I want to be careful, but I want to give an example. Is that some, one of the reasons that we don't live, um, we're not involved in a small group or any kind of, a, uh, like we call them life transformation groups. It's where smaller groups of three or four men or three or four women meet together. Is that um, we kind of want to do our own thing without getting counsel, without being um, bossed around. And um, so often I see Christians that are um, an a integral part of the local church um, pick up and leave and take a job somewhere else. And not that that's bad alone, but the, like, we're family. I mean, wouldn't you like uh, ask and say, hey, I'm thinking about taking this job and um, I'm wondering if you could give some, some wise counsel. I'm not talking to me, by the way. I'm talking to people in your groups. That living in isolation is being fearful of, of asking um, counsel of somebody. I had a guy come up to me at the second service and said, hey, um, thanks for saying that last service. You know, I've got a big decision that's coming up in my life, and I've been thinking about asking some other men that are involved in my life, and I wonder if you would chime in on that. I go, man, I'd love to chime in on that. I'm not sure how much wisdom I'll be able to give you, but I'd love to be able to pray alongside you. I'd, be able, I'd love to be able to give you some biblical principles, and I, and I would encourage you to invite other men into the discussion as well. You see, when we live in isolation, we make decisions on our own. And that's not God's best. The, the next thing that we see here is in verse 42 is after they were together, together physically and often, they prioritized the word together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the emphasis here isn't so much devoting yourself to teaching. It's devoting yourselves to learning. It's not about um, being taught by any one person. It's being devoted to learning with the textbook, if you will, be in the Word of God. You see, God's Word is central to the body of Christ. And here, if you're, if you're new with us here today, one of the things that we do is we have, um, I don't know how many community groups we have now, Pat, 16-ish, give or take? 15-ish, okay. It's gone backwards the last couple of quarters, but it's all good. God, we love it. Is, um, yeah, what was my point? Um, well, my point was that we're, we're a Word-centered church and that um, most of the community groups, what they do in their community group on that particular day is that they discuss and they apply the word that was taught on Sunday. Um, they don't all do that, and we don't put a mandate to do that, but, it's, but the word, the point is that the word is central. It's central to um, the lifeblood of the church. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Man, 
I'll tell you what, when I, was, um, when I had kids in the house, I always struggled with doing devotions. Like, I'd go to Bible Superstore. Anybody remember Bible Superstore? And I would wander those aisles forever just looking for something to take my kids through. And I, and I needed that, and, it, and, it, and I'm grateful for good books. But actually, you know what, folks? I would, I would want to encourage us to, um, to put, as we're meeting together in small groups and whatnot, I'd put the books aside. I read what Timothy Keller has to say, and I like it. I read what John Piper has to say, and I like it. But, but I would say that we, we need to um, teach one another how to feed, be self-feeders on God's Word. And so I just want to encourage that. It's not, it's not thus saith the Lord, but, but we're a church that prioritizes God's Word. And one of the things I don't actually think we do well, and we're going to do better, is we want to teach you to feed upon God's Word. To be like the noble Bereans, that when you listen to one of my messages, you can, you can go back like a noble Berean and you can examine the scriptures to see if what Hardy's saying is true. And then you can complain to the other pastors and they'll come back to me. They were together in proximity. They prioritized the word. Uh, verse 42, they prioritized fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. That, the, the Greek word is koinia in the New Testament. However, we make the word koinia, the Greek word koinia, with our English word uh, fellowship, we make it anemic. Closely connected to koinia are other English words, participation, common, sharing. It's not just getting together and having fellowship. Let's just have fellowship. It's No, it's let's get together and, and participate in the fellowship of the Lord. Let's get together and, um, and share what we have in common, share our struggles and our burdens with each other. John describes this in 1 John 1, 1 through 3. He instructs us that, that our fellowship is to be centered on our collective fellowship with the Lord. That which you have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with who? With the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Also, fellowship is not, it's a, it's a verb. We fellowship with one another. It's, it, there's, there's action implied. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, and let us consider how to stir one another one another up to love and good works, not ne neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. It's not just sharing the word with one another. As Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, we're to share our lives with one another. We're to share our lives with one another. You're going to hear testimonies up here in a little while. And you're going to hear one particular testimony that's pretty raw, where, where this person is, was, is, was pretty scared to come to community groups. And, 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 and she's able to uh, express that and so we can share that burden. Because when somebody shares um, a fear with us, it gives us the freedom to share some of our fears with them. Galatians 6, 2, um, when we fellowship with one, one another, we're sharing one another's burdens. Romans 12, when we fellowship with one another, we rejoice when others rejoice and we grieve when others grieve. Verse 42, they prioritize prayer. They prioritize prayer together. They, they pray together. And we're encouraged in all of Scripture to pray often, but I think we miss the beauty of praying together. And we don't do a lot of organizing here to have like Wednesday night prayer services or Sunday night prayer services. Maybe we should. At a very minimum, community groups should be saturated with prayer. At a, at a very minimum, 
we should be praying for each other. Hebrews 4.16 talks about prayer in a congregational way. It says, let us then, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we, not I, that we may receive mercy and find grace in, in the help of need. You see, by, by spending more time together in one another's homes and studying the word together in fellowship, we in turn learn about one another's needs. I want to give a plug for the city. You go, wait a minute, the city, you just three years talk about being in proximity with each other. So we, we live in a culture that was unlike first century Jerusalem. Um, I don't know that they had TV or internet or uh, club sports or that they did um, chariot racing on Sundays. Maybe they did or on Saturday. But our life is a lot busier than their life was then. And so, yes, um, I'm going to talk about why we have community groups in a minute. But, but yesterday, let me just describe yesterday what happened and how we were so uniquely ministered to. Yesterday, I'm sitting at a coffee shop in West Greeley about 1030 and I get a call from my bride. Hey, babe, what's going on? And she's sobbing. And she says, Lori just died. First thing I do is I text my kids, Mitch, Natalie, and Joey, and say, Aunt Lori just passed. You know what the next thing I did was? I got in the city. I said, church family, my sister-in-law just died. Would you pray for Nancy and her family to experience the comfort and peace of the Lord? And you know what happened? You got praying. And not only were you praying, but you were responding that you were praying. And just a P.S., when you respond that you're praying, you know what that does for the person that's being prayed for? It brings them encouragement in unique ways. So I want to put a plug in for the city, that, that we live in a culture where we, we can't be together all the time. We got jobs. We, we do have things that we enjoy doing. But I want to encourage you, if you're not on the city, and if you're not engaging on the city, um, Learn how to do that. Talk to your community group leader. Talk to one of the pastors. Talk to Bonnie. We'd love to help you get on that. Verse 46, you know what else they did together? They prioritized eating together. And if you actually look deeper in that passage, what it literally means is prioritizing eating meat. It does. Meat. There were no vegans back then. And if there were vegans, they would eat them. There was... There, there, People ate meat. They ate bread, too, but they ate meat. So just, I'm just saying, for, so shout out to you hunters out there. They prioritized eating together, and they ate meat. What else did they do? In verse 46 through 47, they prioritized unity. Well, I want you to listen to this, verse 46 and 47. Day and day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. So this is the ESV. The ESV is not the best, um, doesn't, um, it's not the best, um, help me. Translation, boom, give him a gift card. That's, it's not the best translation for that verse. Um, I would say the NASV, um, NIV, King James, New King James is better, where the together, and day by day attending the temple together, it's, it's one accord or one mind. It's not talking about proximity, it's talking about unity. And it comes from the Greek word humathmadon, humathmadon. And homos means the same, like homogenous. And, and thumos means passion, that they had a, a, the same passion, the same heart, the same desire to honor the Lord, to serve one another, to reach out on mission to those who are perishing without the gospel. And the secret sauce... The secret sauce to unity. 
Like, how do we be a church that is characterized by living in unity? The secret sauce is being aware of your own sin and the need for God's grace. And you go, well, can you explain that a little bit? Okay, I'll do that. Here's what I've discovered. The more aware I am of my own sin, the more willing I am to forgive. The more I'm aware of my great sin against a holy God and that I deserve um, eternal damnation, the more I'm aware of my great sin and His great forgiveness, the easier it is for me to forgive little sins that hurt my feelings. And I know there's some sins that are bigger than that. I don't want to belittle however you're being sinned against by somebody else. But whatever it is that you're, in comparison, it's nothing. The most forgiving people I know are those who are coming to daily and deeper terms with their own need for forgiveness. I love this from Luke chapter 7, verse 47, where um, Jesus is responding to Peter when the, when the lady is, is wasting ointment on Jesus' um, feet. And he says this to Peter about this lady. He says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows little forgiveness. If you're walking around with a lot of bitterness in your heart towards other believers, however bad they've sinned against you, and I'm not saying it's always easy to forgive. It's not. It's a process. And for some of us, it's a lifelong process. But it is a process, and we need to engage in it. And if, if, you're, if you don't want to engage in it or you're having a hard time engaging in it, uh, the, the, the secret sauce is to see the magnitude of your sin as it relates to a holy God and that he has completely released you of all your past, present, and future sin. Romans 12, Paul says, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends upon you. If you, if God has convicted you of, of, of some way that you've wronged somebody in the local body of Christ, go to them and make it right. Seek their forgiveness. As far as it depends upon you, they may not forgive you. That's not on you. That's on them. And the same thing with forgiveness. When somebody comes, um, if somebody's hurt you, they may never come to you and ask for forgiveness. We pray they do. But you're called to forgive them. As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. And if we just flip over to Romans 15, 5 through 7, we, we see this homothamadon word again. It says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, believer, to live in such harmony with one another, other believers, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together, humathamadon, you with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another. No matter how, um, how hard it is sometimes to live together. And the more we do life together, the more opportunities we're going to have to figure out how to live at peace with one another. I know that's true with people who get to know me. Like, holy cow, they're going, man, i got to figure out how to live at peace with Hardy. He keeps offending me. 
John 17, 22 through 23, the high priestly prayer, Jesus um, calling out to the Father. He says this. He says, Father, the glory that you've given me, I've given to them, the believers, the church, that they, the church, may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become what? Perfectly one. And the way that we live perfectly one with one another is that we, we reconcile with one another on an ongoing basis. And then there's a so that. Why? Why should we do that? So that God gets the glory also so that, <clears throat> excuse me, the world may know that you sent me and love them even if you love me. Our greatest witness, our greatest testimony is how we live together. There's no worse testimony in this country, in this world, is for, the, um, for, um, for pagans. Pagans are people that have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They're not any more sinners than we are. But the, our, the worst testimony we have is for pagans to see the church fighting and divorcing and, and dividing. And there's some good reasons to do some of that. But there's never a good reason not to reconcile, to not live at peace with everyone. And in verse 47, it's all, as we live together, more and more people are going to be drawn to the gospel by our testimony. So we're going to talk about community groups here. Um, 10, 15, oh, wow, we got a lot of time. Woo! Here we go. You with me, Brad? Okay. We're going to bring testimonies up in a minute, but we, here at WCC, we have something called community groups. In your church, where you came from before, it might be called missional community groups, might be called life groups. Um, back in the day, they were called flocks, flocks. <laughs> like, no wonder we could never build that ministry. Anybody want to be in a flock? We've got, like, corn and stuff we're going to feed you after the service. Flock, but community groups. So, so the, the reason that we do it, there's a reason we do community groups. And it's not just because it's a cool concept. It's actually a biblical concept. We can't find community group or life group or flocks or missional community anywhere in the scriptures. There's no hermeneutically responsible scripture case that can be specifically made to institute small groups. But the Bible does give us examples. In Exodus 18... Jethro. You know who Jethro is? Don't say that TV show. It was Moses' father-in-law. He said this to Moses. What you're doing, Moses, is not good. You will certainly wear out both yourself and his people. I'm going to actually read Exodus 18, 17 through 18, because this is, the, this is one of the best hermeneutics we have as to why we do community groups. Listen. This is after they were, they were um, released from Egypt, and they're wandering, and Moses has the responsibility of the entire um, uh, Jewish nation on his shoulders. It says this, the next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. They, he had all the answers. He was, he was the dude. He was the man. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you, Moses. You're not able to do it alone. 
Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. Such men over people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Sounds like 2 Timothy 2.2, does it not? And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. The big matters they'll bring to you. But any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you. And they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Does that sound like a great church model? Does that sound awesome? I mean, you go to, I don't know how a church does. We're a church of maybe, I don't know, 400-ish people, counting um, some in the womb. And we're, I mean, this is a church where there's no way that Pat and Chris and John and I can, can meet the needs of this body. We can carry the burdens. We can do all the teaching. We can't do that. And so we're, we're very... Um, uh, uh, intentional and resolute and serious in raising up leaders around us and alongside of us. That's why we have our community group ministry. We've got 15 small groups, uh, men and women, that lead these. Shepherds and their wives. And we don't just like say, okay, here you go, go recruit some sheep. We actually train them. Pat meets with the men, CG leaders. Jolene meets with their wives every month to E3 them. To, to encourage them, equip them, and empower them to be um, under shepherds along with us. I don't know how a big church, a church um, any bigger than this, even half this size, how can you do it without small groups? You can't. If you're doing it without small groups, you know what you're saying? Come and be a consumer. Come and hear a great message. Come and hear great music. Come and, um, and stand out. I heard last service, that's called the narthex out there. Come stand in the narthex and have a cup of coffee. We don't want that. We don't want that for you. If that's you right now, if you're a Sunday morning attender and you're not involved in any of the rhythms of the church, um, you're welcome to do that as, until Jesus returns. We'll love you. We'll teach you. We'll encourage you. Um, but you, it's not going to be long before somebody drags you into a community group. I know this body. And it's going to be good for you. You see, this, this principle, this Jethro principle... It's applicable for pastors, church leaders, and its members. When, when people in the church do not have small units of connection and relationship, it wears everyone out. It wears the pastors out and the leaders out because they're constantly trying to fulfill um, the, the need that people have for connection. And then the members, the, the members because they're unable to be in nurturing relationships, um, they, they, they can't find them because, because the pastors can't nurture them. There's too many of them. Small units of community allow people to carry one another's burdens in a way that is simply impossible in large group settings. Therefore, Scripture favors small settings for accomplishing genuine community. Have you ever seen it through that light? And did you also know that it's important to have coffee in the small groups? Yeah? Hebrews? I had to say that. Man, that's a Steve McBurneyism. I can't even believe it came out of my mouth. It wasn't in my notes. The Holy Spirit said, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And I did it. 
All right, so I want to, um, I want, we've got a, um, this is, you're going to have a lot of fun with this. I want to invite up uh, Josh and Aaron Trigstad, and they're going to testify to uh, what community group has meant to them. And then Deidre, you're going to follow them, and then. All right. Um, my name is Josh Trickstead. Um, this is my wife, Erin. So going back to this last fall, we were part of the Shelton Community Group in Greeley, and um, God had led us to multiply because um, multiplication is good, but also because the group was very large. So we were packing a lot of people into a, a pretty good-sized house. So um, we multiplied with um, Ryan and Linda Farr, and it's been wonderful, I think, um, because of multiplication, one of the blessings of that is we've been able to see other people um, demonstrate or use their gifts in community in a different way than what had been um, what we'd been just capable of doing before. When there's one community group with one um, leading couple, you can only have so many apprentices and people that fill all those gaps. So after we multiplied, uh, Aaron and I kind of held hands, we went into it, we were going to lead and um, with the FARs, and we were going to host um, and, and kind of take all those burdens on ourselves. And the blessing we've had is, um, even in spite of that, we've seen so many other people just step into, into their kind of niche that they just hadn't been able to step into that before because um, all the things that were already done, there was so many people to do the work. So specifically, um, <clears throat> hosting, you know, we had... We started our new group. We had um, two new families join pretty, pretty soon after um, because of other, other people outside of us kind of inviting them. And um, so we had uh, over 12 kids kind of, you know, stuff, like start, sardines stuffed into our little basement um, with the babysitter. And um, at one point, you know, it just became obvious after only a few weeks that um, that wasn't the best facility. And so someone else offered. They were kind of like, we'll host. And, um, and we're like, thank you. So, um, so we moved, and so someone else in our body, not one of the leaders, um, the Alexanders are hosting, and their, you know, their basement situation is so much better for those kids to where they're not um, sitting on top of each other. And so it's just neat seeing that. Um, it wasn't a need before we multiplied. It's a need now, and then they're able to do that. Um, Jen's chocolate chip cookies. I mean, if you want to come to our community group just for her cookies, I mean, that would, that would be worth it. Um, so another, I guess, two other... Quickly, two other specifics, um, seeing other men drive the leadership uh, uh, life transformation groups, the LTGs, having those guys drive those meetings when there's, um, they're not positional leaders in our group, but they're just members who know that it's important to be community, to be in community together. And so uh, in spite of my schedule and sometimes my inability to attend those meetings or Ryan's inability because he's had a really busy last couple months, um, but these other guys in the group are getting together and they're reading, reading through scripture, they're encouraging each other, um, admonishing one another. And then the last thing is, of course, um, we have the benefit in our group right now, um, Ryan and I co-leading, is that, um, you know, Ryan's a fantastic facilitator of discussion. And so in that situation, we knew that before because he led some discussion in the Shelton community group, but now that we multiply, he's doing it. Um, probably about half the time, maybe a little bit more. And as he facilitates discussion, he's just really gifted at that, and it's really neat um, for me, Aaron, and the rest of the group to benefit from that. So we're thankful for it. It's been, um, multiplication is hard, 
It's really, it's, we miss those people that we're not with every Sunday night now. But we've seen, we've seen God really work through that. So, praise the Lord. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about community, and one of my favorite scriptures is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, to me, this describes the Cooper group, of which I'm a part We're all older adults. We have grown children. We have uh, grandchildren. And many of us go to the same gym. We go to the same classes. But that's not what gives us that sense of community and fellowship. Our sense of community isn't built on worldly values or, or worldly identities. Our group is built upon our faith, trust, and hope in Jesus Christ as well as the love we all feel for each other. I've only been here about a year and a half, but my dear brothers and sisters in that group and in the church as a whole have um, made me feel so accepted. And when I feel that coming from them, I feel the love of Christ because that's what's in them. And I just, I I find in that group I'm just surrounded by so much compassion, so much love, so much encouragement that uh, it gives me strength to continue with my walk with the Lord because sometimes you feel like you're going to stumble. But when you've got all those people around you, you don't. In our group, we pray for and we encourage each other and, and we pray for those and encourage those who aren't in our group, who need the Lord's help. Sometimes we eat together, we see a movie, uh, but we always hold each other up in the Lord. At times, we seek out and are given godly counsel, and it's always godly counsel with encouragement from both the Coopers. We stir up one another to love and good works, both here at the church, and we have fun when we do it. And in the community, and I am truly honored to be a part of the Cooper Group. Good morning. Um, I am Ryan Farr. Um, the first service had the um, benefit of seeing my wife up here, and uh, you guys get stuck with me. So. Um, I'll make it as quick as possible. Um, but uh, no, Linda and I have uh, have been at WCC for about a year and a half. Um, when we uh, started coming to WCC, we faced the persistence of uh, getting invited to community group, um, and we're so grateful for that. We had the opportunity to, um, to visit the Pence's community group, and then um, we actually live in Greeley and had uh, an opportunity to um, be part of a community group in Greeley uh, with the Shelton's. Um, and God used that group in, in a pretty incredible way. Um, we had... Um, four or five couples when we started out. Um, all those couples hadn't been at WCC for more than a year. Um, and so God took um, young families, um, bound us together very tightly. Um, God grew that group very quickly. 
um, added four or five other couples um, in similar walks of life, um, going through the same thing, even in proximity to each other, all living in, in, in Greeley. Um, and, and God grew that group to about 10 or so young families. Um, we had um, like 20-some kids running around the Shelton's backyard. It was insane, and we felt bad for the babysitters. But um, we, we, we had an opportunity to multiply. And, and I think God's um, direction in that, um, it was hard to, to sit there and see that and say, man, what does this mean? Um, you know, we, we have some really strong and great relationships that we're building. We love these people, some of the closest friendships we've ever had. And I think um, a lot of the group felt that way. And so um, as we kind of talk through what multiplication looks like, um, we needed to think really seriously about the benefits um, while, we're, while we're understanding the pain, but understand the benefits. And as we started talking through that, um, what that really led us to was if we, if we have an opportunity to multiply and go down to four or five couples in two groups, what opportunity does that give us for inviting others that aren't plugged into a community group involved in this, in this body already or non-believers that aren't even plugged into this church? And I think that allowed us to open our eyes to say we need to do this. Um, as painful as it was, we knew that those relationships that we have um, with those couples were going to change. We knew that they wouldn't probably be as frequent as seeing them. We knew that our LTG on Thursday nights at Roma's where they have half-priced Corollas that are the size of your face, we knew that probably wouldn't exist. But guess what? Roma's is still open on Thursday nights and has half-priced Corollas, so we still hang out there every now and then. And so those relationships look different. But what God did is he took relationships that we didn't know were coming with some pretty awesome people, and he backfilled those relationships. And we went through some pretty hard stuff here in November, uh, October, November, um, and God used those people that weren't in our lives a year ago um, and just absolutely surrounded us and our group um, with so much joy and togetherness. Um, and we are just so grateful for that. Um, God's faithful. Um, he grows these groups um, in his timing and in his ways, um, but he will fill those relationships um, as hard as mul- multiplication might be. And so just an encouragement to the body. Um, we would love to have you. As Josh mentioned, um, Jen's cookies, if they don't draw you in, um, we'll just pull you in. So, um, but appreciate it. Thank you. Hello, my name is um, Ginny Davy. Much to my surprise, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord Jesus, and I come to church. WCC promotes community groups continually. Church without my husband is one thing, and I long to share my Christian life with my husband. So to go to a community group without him, no thanks. But Jesus is persistent, as is WCC. So my expectations were to learn more about Jesus, lively biblical discussion, and get to know others. Great. I like biblical discussion. And my personal sharing could be light, for perhaps I wouldn't fit in. So as the weeks rolled into months, relationships became more relaxed, and characteristics began to surface in each member of the group, good and not so good. Discussion was quiet. So to compensate, I found myself dominating discussion, arrogant, impulsive. And if that wasn't bad enough, I even took over leadership one time. I was not expelled, thankfully. 
But each week on my way home, conviction came. Gentle when it came from the Lord. Condemning when it came from the enemy. So confession, repentance, forgiveness from my Lord, and encouragement to return. I am always warmly welcomed into this group and loved upon, yet did I belong. I've been in community group now for two years, yet frustrations with myself and my expectations not met caused me to consider not returning in January. So over the Christmas break, Jesus opened Psalm 139 to me, reminding me of how well he knows me, how he orchestrates my life, and knows what I need to become more like him. Verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. It's easy to think I'm better than I am, to hide in a good outward appearance. But Jesus knows my heart. Interactions with others bring out the good, but it also brings out the impatience, intolerance, judgments of others. All the characteristics that Jesus wishes to refine by the power of his spirit. Community group is not about feeding my expectations, but learning about myself and loving others as they navigate similar paths with Jesus. Jesus loves imperfect people, and that's all of us. And he calls us to do the same. And the only way we can learn to love others is to be with them. And community group facilitates that opportunity. Hello, I am Jessica Zweep, and this is my husband, Brian. We have been coming to WCC for about three years. Um, and when we first came, we were very good at the wallflower game. We could come, we could sit in the back, but like Jenny said, they're persistent. Um, and we were asked over and over um, on Sunday mornings by Jake and Jeremy, um, you know, we're getting together, you guys should come over. And we had both grown up in church where you come on Sunday, you worship, sing, have a cup of coffee in the narthex, and then you go home and you don't see, see those people again for a week. Um, there's not a lot of overlap. Church is Sunday, and it doesn't trickle in to your life. Um, but because Jake and Jeremy were so nice, um, we felt bad saying no to them over and over again. So finally, we bit the bullet. And actually, through what I would think is God's divine intervention, we wound up at someone's house. It was supposed to be at Sornan's, and it ended up being at another house. And Brian is an avid fisherman and bow hunter, and we get there, and the guy whose house we were at, um, he was building a bow in his garage. And it was like the heavens opened up, and 
this is, we were in. So um, since then, um, I think our group has changed from, it, I would consider it to be like our kids play together, they're growing up together, um, and everyone in our group, we don't have like grandmas and grandpas or aunts and uncles close by. And as your kids, it's one thing when your kids are babies and you just kind of hunker down and survive, but as they're out in the world and they're doing school and having sports and wanting to have playdates, um, it's nice and you don't even realize it until so-and-so's throwing up, but the other one has to be to school. Who can you call? Hope. You know, like you, we have, I have this built-in network of pseudo cousins for my kids that they can't get enough of on Sundays and they can't get enough of during the week. And I have this tight, amazing group of sister wives that are like my best friends and I never would have picked them out, but I think God picked them just for us. Um, our stint in Colorado, moving from West Michigan has not been smooth. Um, we moved here in 2010 in April and in August. Um, I was pregnant with our second baby, and at seven months, he was born, stillborn. And a year later, a year later, two years later, um, Brian ended up needing heart surgery, um, kind of out of the blue. And we didn't have WCC for that. We didn't have anyone, and we were long distance supported with aunts and uncles and family flying out, but it was hard. Um, I think it was, it grew us together closer, but that is a lonely thing to do by yourself. Um, and since, I, I mean, Brian said in between the services, I wouldn't want to do life now without community group. Yeah, I wouldn't. Not, yeah. So <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't talk this much in the first service, but, <laughs> and I didn't talk at all, but um, reality is, is, we didn't have that, and doing that alone was awful. And, yeah, this is why I did talk in the first service. <laughs> but, yeah, well, but reality is, is having it now is amazing. And not going through life without it would be really hard. We made a decision to move back to Michigan at one point, and we were in a community group. And I think Hope's prayer was, no, you're not. It wasn't, it, yeah, don't let hope pray for you. Don't, you, things happen for sure. Um, but reality is, is, you know, these big life decisions like, you know, Dan talks about and in the sermon, like we did that. And now I have a business right on the other side of this wall here instead of moving back to Michigan. And the community group was there to pray through that and help us through that. And, and you know, that was a, that was a big deal. And like she said, too, you know, the kids growing up, I think, you know, we've got a bunch of young kids in this church, and our kids are every Sunday, every week, playdates, everything. It's, it's, it's our community. It's our friends. It's our cousins. It's, it is, it's that back-filled relationship, and um, it's not just Sunday nights. That's it. These are our people. We love them. <laughs>
Um, great, there it is. You know, um, who doesn't want that type of community? Well, what happens on Sunday morning is awesome, where life really happens. The family of families, as I think Jason Shelton described it earlier, is in the community groups. And it's where we, it's where we grow, it's where we're sharpened. And um, just want to encourage you to be, to, uh, in 2018, to make that one of your rhythms, one of your disciplines. Let me pray. Father, I uh, bless you for these testimonies, uh, God, that it's, uh, it's testimonies to, uh, to um, your design uh, for your church and uh, how you have designed us to be in, um, in relationship with other Christians, not a transactional relationship where we um, only serve and um, give and share um, expecting something in return, God, but a covenantal relationship where we are brothers and sisters in Christ, bound together by the shed blood of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for more of that in this church. God, I pray that, um, that these relationships that are going deep in these community groups, God, I pray that uh, it would translate to um, more people coming to know you. I pray, God, that as, as, uh, as people see us live um, our lives out in genuine authenticity, um, worshiping the triune God, that they would, they would want that in their own lives. So, God, we thank you, and we want to continue giving you, God, not this church, not any one community group or any uh, group of people, but we want to give you um, all the glory and the honor, now and forevermore. And God's people said, amen. Let's stand together and close our service.